Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to episode 260 of the Falcoholic Live. I'm your host, Kevin Knight, at Falcoholic Kevin, joined by our resident pitch pinch hitter. He is Daniel Flick, at by Daniel Flick. You know, Adnan once again playing hooky. Now, Adnan has a very important business meeting, I'm sure, tonight. Um, that's not, that's not, you know, uh, sarcasm. He actually, he actually is busy, but, uh, always happy to have Daniel on, uh, Daniel. I think you've officially like every time you've risen up the batting order every, every time. And it, it, the consistency is, is important. And I think you, you know, unlike the Falcons, you're, you're getting better every single week. So, yeah, you know, I, I try to, you know, some people have all the talent in the world. Some people have all the skill in the world. Some people are just reliable. I tend to think of myself as just like flying under the radar, occasionally scrappy, um, gritty, if you will, and always reliable. I'm like the guy, probably seventh, eighth man, on, you know, rolling in and just off the bench. It's probably not going to score 10 to 12 points a game off the bench, but probably, you know, four to five points, grab a couple of rebounds and, you know, exit the game with a positive plus minus. And at the end of the day, that's all you can ask for, you know, winners win, they say. And, and so we're going to, we're going to try to win tonight. That's Let's gonna gonna stack some dubs. Yeah. Even if the Falcons can't stack dubs on the field, we're going to stack dubs on this, on this program, but no, that, that is going to be one of our topics tonight. You know, the, the Falcons being at a crossroads here at week seven at three and three with a critical division game coming up against a team that probably is expected to beat the Falcons. Not by that much. Actually, I think the bucks are only two and a half point home favorites, which basically suggests that it's kind of a wash, but um, we'll get into that guys. We're going to of course start, uh, the new start off the top with with the little bit of news we got this week about Jalen Hawkins and Micah Micah Abernathy switching up. Um, welcome Jason. What's up, everyone in the chat? Thanks for joining us tonight. Um, yeah, we'll just we'll go through. We'll talk talk about the state of the team. Talk, talk about Desmond Ritter, of course. I, I think last time Daniel was on, it was like when Desmond Ritter, uh, the negativity was at its peak. You know, rightly so. Uh, after after week four, uh, now we've had a couple of different games. Um, since then, so that'll be an interesting. Uh, interested to get Daniel's take, sort of how things have have changed, how things have stayed the same uh, since then. Um, and yeah, well, we'll dive into all those all those topics tonight, guys. Thanks for joining us. Before we do, of course, want to bring you a word from tonight's sponsor, BetOnline.ag, folks. It is a Texas showdown in the postseason, and BetOnline is your number one source for all your baseball wagering info, with up to the minute stats, news, and scores. Hold on, let me pull up this new copy. And matchup breakdowns also. Uh, get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals for the MLB, NFL, and college football at your fingertips with BetOnline's real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds. They've got everything you need to stay up to speed on each league championship series all the way through to the World Series itself. We'll also, of course, have football stuff coming your way all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl on BetOnline. So no matter what you want to bet on, guys, head to that website, betonline.ag today, or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Just don't forget to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, Daniel, we've let's, let's start with the news, a little bit of news. Jalen Hawkins ends up getting released uh, in favor of Micah Abernathy coming off the practice squad back in, in camp. I think we talked about it. I was sort of like predicting that maybe Abernathy might make it over Hawkins because of the cap space. They don't end up doing that 
uh, coming out of camp, but they do end up doing it now partway through the season. Fortunately, don't get the cap savings as a result. But curious uh, your thoughts on on how the, sh- the safety depth chart is getting shuffled here. Yeah, I think DeMarco Helms here is where the conversation has to start. Um, you know, first three weeks, Helms did not play a snap on defense. And then week four, he plays, I want to say, 12, comes back in week five. He gets shut out. Hawkins plays eight. And then he comes back in week six. Helms plays, I think, 10 or 12 again, and Hawkins is shut out again. And so it's like their their playing time was entirely inversely correlated. Um, and so I think if you're the Falcons, I think Mike Rossi had a good tweet yesterday about how now Matt Hennessy is the last player um, from the old regime who has not been either extended or released or signed, of course, um, with with Arthur Smith and Fontenot and the entire new regime. And so I think um, in that conversation, you look at it as with Helms, he's our guy, our seventh round draft pick, our rookie who led our team in tackles versus Helms, who is not or sorry, Hawkins yeah, is, yeah. again, not exactly not our guy because, again, he's a starter last year, and Arthur Smith would be the first to tell you that if you're on the team, you are one of our guys. But there's not that same type of attachment there, and if you're going to be picking one or the other, you're probably going to want to lean a guy who's younger, cheaper, and, again, one of your draft picks, and also, again, contractually controllable um, because Helms is under contract for the next three years. Hawkins was probably not going to be re-signed this offseason – um, and so at that point, you're just kind of taking snaps away from Helms where he could be, you know, evolving his skill set and, and adding to his wealth of NFL experience. So um, or lack thereof for, you know, right now. So that was kind of where my mind went first. It did it, For me, the, the thing that was really interesting is that Jerry Gray a couple of times during the last month has talked about Hawkins being, you know, a valuable presence and how they had packages for him and then when Troy Anderson got hurt and they, they kind of moved Richie Grant around a little bit, put him kind of in that linebacker spot in certain packages as well. I kind of thought Hawkins spot was safe. Um, and so that's why the news kind of caught me by surprise, but I still think that DeMarco Hellums and the way that he's played, I, I would like to think that Atlanta internally is quite fond of Hellums. Um, again, there's a reason he made the roster. And then there's a reason why you've seen his role continue to kind of ascend in recent weeks. Um, and so I think moving on from Hawkins, Hawkins is playing a pretty big percentage of special team snaps. But if you feel like Micah Abernathy can fill that role, and again, Helms was also playing quite a bit of special teams as well. Um, then I think it's really just a matter of who do we want as our third safety? And again, I, I revisit all those points I was talking about earlier with he's more controllable, he's younger, he's cheaper, he's their guy. And so I, I think it from that perspective, it makes sense. I understand the fans who are like, well, if we're going to carry four safeties, I'd rather have Hawkins than Abernathy. I get that, but I also completely understand where the Falcons are coming from. And again, I think there's a more defined picture with Helms as your third safety and, and then Abernathy as your four versus having that Helms versus Hawkins kind of uh, situation that we've seen in recent weeks where it's just inconsistent playing time for the two of them. So, Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't shock me that they want to get more of their guy like the guy they drafted it doesn't shock me particularly with Hawkins not necessarily like making huge impact on his snaps you know he he wasn't playing much on defense but it it wasn't a huge impact um and I think you look at Hawkins special teams and and it was like okay I think he had a pretty good game against Jacksonville um 
where you had to tackle, uh, but you know, wasn't really moving the needle on special teams. And they decided to go ahead and go with the, the younger guy in Helms, who I think has definitely been making more of an impact on his snaps on defense. And I think we were pretty impressed, the, the two of us, with his play in preseason, how quickly he adapted to the NFL and how how much it really didn't look like he was a liability in coverage. I know coming out, people were sort of questioning his athleticism and his ability to, to hold up on the back end. And I think ultimately it's been pretty much fine. Um, you know, I, I don't think he's ever going to be like a huge plus guy as a deep coverage safety, but in terms of box stuff, I think he's absolutely fine there. That's he showed in college. He could handle that without too much trouble. And um, just not shocked that they want to get him more reps. You know, Hel- Helms hasn't exactly been a terrific special teamer so far for the Falcons either. He's been fairly average. I think both he and Hawkins had basically the exact same special teams. Great. So it's not like Hawkins was giving them significantly better play on special teams. But you look at Micah Abernathy, who was a guy that was around the team a lot last year, um, finally got an opportunity to play on special teams this week, played 15 snaps, had a special teams tackle, graded out in the 70s on special teams. So my guess is they view Abernathy as a better special teams player than Hawkins. Um, so they'd rather have him active as the fourth safety and, they and um, you know, give give those few defensive snaps, if any, to, to, uh, DeMarco Hellams at this stage. Yeah, I would completely agree with you. I'm glad that you brought up that Abernathy was, you know, rather impactful and if not, you know, performing better than Hawkins was on, on, on teams. I think that was kind of where my mind started to wander. I didn't have the actual numbers in front of me, but so I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, because, in my mind, when I heard the news and I thought about Abernathy being active, I kind of thought about that maybe being a tryout for him. Um, just kind of the Falcons testing the waters a bit there to see if they could make it work where Abernathy, you know, could take over that role as primary special teams guy, number four safety and and how he could handle that. And evidently it appears that if they liked how he played in that regard. And again, kind of like what I was saying earlier, I think they're pretty pleased with how Hawkins has, has played or sorry, Helms has played in his 20 ish snaps um, with the starting defense. So again, I, I tend to think that DeMarco Helms has been in throughout training camp. He was for sure. One of those guys who just continually seemed to impress even when, even when his stock was rising, he still found ways to impress. He's always around the football um, very instinctual. And, you know, the guy just makes tackles. He's always around the football. I mean, he led Alabama in tackles last year, led Atlanta in tackles this preseason. Um, those types of guys, you know, I, th- I think Jesse Bates was talking about it, how everybody can tackle in the NFL, but it takes the, – the, I'm pretty sure what he said is that there's only like a few guys who can like legitimately consistently be around the football making plays on the football. And I think DeMarco Holmes is one of those guys who in his in his limited reps in Atlanta has proven that he is one of those guys and has kind of continued proving that from what he showed throughout two years starting at, at Alabama. So I think you know what you're getting, and I think they've got to be pretty pleased with that and knowing that that kind of projects favorably um, with special teams as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely like what we've seen from Helms so far, and I'm excited to see him get more snaps. And It's just – we just sort of know – we just sort of know what we were getting from, from Jalen Hawkins. And I think he was a fine third safety, fine depth safety, not necessarily a plus. And you know, that, that leads into a sort of wider conversation about Richie Grant sort of not being impactful at this stage either. 
you know, Richie Grant has had the flash plays that I think Hawkins lacks. Obviously, Hawkins, I think, has been more consistently sort of average. Um, but unlike unlike Richie Grant, Hawkins was not a draft pick of this regime, and he was not a second-round draft pick of this regime. regime. So they're, they're going to give Richie Grant every opportunity this season to sort of prove himself and, and show that he can he can be the starter next to Jesse Bates. And if he can't, then they'll go out and get somebody else this next season. A lot of guys, I think, are sort of in that situation this year where, okay, like this is your opportunity to show us what you can do. You know, Arnold Ebicati, I think, to some extent is in that. Um, and, you know, speaking of Ebicati, we have some nice things to say about him this week too. Um, but, uh, you know, th- there's a lot of guys from that 2021 class and from the 2022 class that are really auditioning for long-term roles on this team. Um, but you know, not much is set in stone at this stage because like we talked about in the off season, even that not only is the team, was the team in good shape in 2023 to make moves in free agency in the draft, they're in excellent shape next year as well. So they're not necessarily tied to many of these guys that, you know, they're tied to the guys that just gave big money to obviously like David Onyemata and Bates and all that, which have worked out swimmingly, obviously, but they're not necessarily tied to any of these guys. So if they want a long-term role on this team, they've really got to step up and earn it this year. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. And I continue to kind of think back on the fact that if you're if you're trying to draft and develop the way that the Falcons are, because again, as you said, they had the money last year, they're going to have the money this year. But really, the way that so many contenders nowadays, especially if you're in a situation like Atlanta was where they had to completely flip over the roster, you're still going to have to rely so heavily on the draft. And I mean, really, I'm not sure what the exact number is, but I'm pretty sure it's like 50 to 60% of rosters are made up of players drafted on the third day or signed an undrafted free agency. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's a huge number. Um, and so I think, again, Hawkins fit that bill, but it, he's also in that same boat of, like you said, you know what you have in him as far as his ceiling, and he's probably already hit his ceiling. Uh, and with Helms, I think you're still kind of figuring out just how impactful he can be because you've already seen – like I was mentioning, you've already seen that he can make an impact. You've already seen he can be consistently around the football. Um, I think now you're just trying to figure out, can he be more than a core special teams player? Can he be a legitimate third safety who we can rely on in certain packages? And I think that's what we're going to find out here. Um, kind of throughout the second half of this season, but really, again, it's kind. Of, it kind of feels like a Michael Walker situation from his rookie mm-hmm. year. Um, if you recall back on that to where he was – kind of thrown into the fire a little bit at times and and saw his role open up a little bit and then um, kind of ascended into that starting role a year or two later. And we kind of saw what his ceiling was and they moved on from him, right? But it's it's like, you're not going to figure out what exactly you have in Helms because with Walker, it was the same deal of like, you saw the flash plays. There was a lot of intrigue around, hey, can he be a starting linebacker? And I remember there was quite a bit of people who thought that he could be then you see him as a starting linebacker and it's not really what you were hoping for. And so I think with Helms, um, the Falcons know what they have in Hawkins. They don't entirely know what they have in Helms yet. And I think that's ultimately, that's ultimately the most important part here of that. And when you're kind of fighting over a core special team spot and a third safety was playing like 10 to 12 snaps a game, I think you're always probably leaning more towards the upside play. Um, especially when you, you know, you have that money coming this off season, you can afford to add. And, and I think it's good to know what spots you have. And with Hawkins, not a part of their long-term plans, if they know that they have Helms as a, as a, you know, third safety and you've got, 
Richie Grant, Jesse Bates locked up, you know, you don't really have to spend on a safety this offseason. So um, I think it's important on that element, just kind of figuring out offseason planning. Even now, um, I'm, I'm sure that's not exactly at the forefront of their mind, but I think that's for sure a positive side effect of this whole thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I'm, sur- I'm sort of sticking to my my preseason prediction of uh, DeMarco Hellams being like a more versatile Cabal Ishmael type of player who can be that sort of long-term third safety, depth safety. Um, I, I think he's got more upside. Uh, than, than Ishmael. And as much as I loved UCF legend Kamal Ishmael, um, you know, it, it's, uh, I think Helms has more coverage ability, certainly. <laughs> so. Kamal Ishmael is, yeah, he was a, uh, a guy. He was UCF a hitter. Legend. I'm very glad you brought yes. that up. Yeah. yeah. Kamal Ishmael. Yeah. I, I will always fondly remember Kamal Ishmael. Uh, Kamal yeah. Ishmael, to be completely honest with you. One Just, of the better uh, seventh round picks the Dimitrov era. So. Yeah. Yeah. One of the better UCF Knights. 2010s yeah yeah UCF legend yeah exactly because um, because we had to get off the Bortles train unfortunately uh legendary college quarterback Blake Bortles certainly but uh Mike Hughes another <laughs> UCF legend. there you go we got a lot of UCF legends around here these days but um yeah let's uh let's let's move on to to talking about uh the 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 team itself and Last time we had you on, like we were saying at the top of the show, was the Falcons coming off, you know, that second loss at two and two. Now we have you back. They're three and three. Um, I can't blame you for that, you know, because we're having you on after the loss. So, you know, it's not your fault necessarily, uh, but but it's just it's more of a coincidence than anything. It's weird that it's happened twice. But um, I thought I, I watched that game a couple times now just because it's it's a perplexing game. Because I, I come out, like, live watching it, I was like, wow, this was terrible. This was, like, the worst game I've ever seen, which, you know, fair to anyone that watched it, right? But yeah. watching it, like, a second time when it's, when the energy was not as intense, when I was more evaluating, I I didn't think it was that bad. In fact, I thought the Falcons outplayed the Commanders through most of the game. Um, there were obviously a few really key mistakes that cost the Falcons the game and ultimately that led to the loss, right? And that's the only thing that counts in terms of the standings. There's no moral victories, but in particular, I, you know, I think you were, you were fairly, you were pretty down on Desmond Ritter after week four. More down than I was, I think a little bit. Um, yeah. I was more in the wait and see camp. I think you were, you you know, more in the like pushing, like, okay, how long are we going to give this? And I think that's totally fair. Like we, we, we had a good conversation about it, I think. Um, yeah. At this stage, I don't know. I, I actually thought this was Desmond Ritter's like second best game throwing the ball. If you're not looking at the turnovers, obviously, I mean, but you can't like ignore the turnovers, but I think in terms of like down to down, this was a pretty good game of throwing the football um, where I thought he was hitting his receivers. They were moving the ball up and down the field in the passing game, despite the running game, not really being effective. I came out like thinking that this actually wasn't a bad game but then there were the turnovers. So it's like, it, it, it keeps you from being like, oh, it wasn't that bad. It's like, it was kind of bad. But um, there was a lot that went into it. But I'm curious your thoughts now that a couple days have passed. Was it as bad as, as it sort of felt like in the moment to you? Or, or do you you feel it a little bit differently about it at this point? Yeah, you know, I'll be honest with you. When I, watching that game, I didn't leave that game feeling bad about Ritter. Like it, it was so... So before I really dive into this, I want to throw out two stats that I I actually looked up right before I got on. Um, Arthur Smith has – so I went back and looked 
And um, Arthur Smith has actually never had a quarterback eclipse the 300-yard passing mark in three straight games. I want to say Matt Ryan did it one. No, he went two straight games once, which Ritter just hit last weekend. If he gets 300 this weekend, he'll be the first quarterback under Arthur Smith. This is including his time in Tennessee as the OC. Um, he would be the first quarterback to hit 300 passing yards in three straight games. Um, on a similar note, an Arthur Smith offense has never – no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The Falcons, the last time the Falcons had two straight games of 400 total yards of offense was the last three weeks of the 2018 season. They had 447, I want to say, against Houston, 405 or something. No, 402 against uh, Washington. So – you're seeing signs of the offense improving here. You're seeing the passing game open up some things. You're seeing the passing game evolve. You're seeing that really improve the overall ability of the offense to actually move the football. Um, and you are 100% correct. I was very down on Ritter. I was probably too harsh on him in that moment, considering how, you know, how, how relatively inexperienced he was really still is. I mean, I, I was, it was, I I've, I've always preached patience with, with people. And I kind of saw the way he played against Jacksonville and Detroit. And again, at that point, the previous two games have not been very pretty. Really most of the season hadn't been very pretty outside of the second half against green Bay. And then a little bit of that Carolina game. Um, but I think the last two weeks he's proven he can play and play at a pretty good level and legitimately put up efficient yards and efficiency and, and actually move the football at a very decent level. Again, they didn't finish drives the way that they would have preferred really either last two games. I think back with, you know, some of the things that happened against Houston with really all the mistakes and some fumbling and just variety of issues that kind of arose there. But, you know, you think back on that, you think about how well they moved the football last week. Um, really the last two weeks, it's been so much better. And I, I think with Ritter, he looks more comfortable. I want to see it translate to the road. That is yeah. that is a big, big talking point. You really want to see him produce on the road because he hasn't really done that yet. So, I mean, like, like last year in Baltimore, he was fine. I thought he was okay in Baltimore. Um, but other than that, his last – well, I mean, his two this year haven't been very good. Um, I think he'd be the yeah. first to tell you that. Yeah. So I would like to see that translate, but just, you know, overall thoughts on Ritter. I think he's been, I think I'm, I'm encouraged by what I've seen lately. And I think there is, I would tend to agree with you that the way that he played, you can't just throw out the interceptions. No, right? like, I mean, yeah. it's, that's it's part of the email. Part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, you know, other than I'm sure the three throws he'd rather have back, there were so many positives from that game. I felt like he did. I feel like for the most part, he showed quite a bit with his arm. I, th- I thought he looked in control. I thought he was seeing the field pretty well on a majority of those throws. And again, you're going to have lapses of judgment that are frankly in large part because he just hasn't played much NFL football yet. Um, and again, you're going to have people saying, well, he's played 10 games. How much more time should we give him? I still, I think what I've learned lately is that he's trending in the right direction and the Falcons see that and the Falcons believe in him and you're going to see him for several, yeah. several more weeks. Like it would take something catastrophic for him to not be the quarterback. I think like three weeks from now, you know? So I tend to think that they're, they believe in him and the last two weeks, the way they've been able to move the football. And I think, you know, in the off season, Arthur Smith had a stated goal of becoming more balanced. The way they're opening things up, passing the football right now should only help the running game. And I, I, 
I'm excited about the way the offense is trending. It's just going to come down to finishing drives. But um, I think for sure my tone on Ritter and my overall take on him as a football player and how how high his ceiling is, is for sure changed in the last two weeks since the last time I came on. Yeah, I mean, it. it the offense just looks better. I mean, it, it hasn't translated completely, but it just looks better. It doesn't look as disjointed. It doesn't look as lifeless. It it's really just been the the mistakes. Um, and like you, you look around the NFL, like that's, that's the thing. I, I think Falcons fans and, and most fans of teams that don't have franchise quarterbacks, they're just not used to, to seeing quarterback play what it looks like when you don't have the guy or what it looks like to have a developing quarterback. It, it's just when you've had Matt Ryan in here for so long, there's a certain, I think, expectation for what week to week it looks like. And like, I'm not trying to blame people for, for having that mentality, but look around the NFL at, at quarterback play and, and on the whole, you know, it's not great. Like good quarterbacks are going to have bad games. Um, you know, bad quarterbacks are going to have good games. Like there's just a lot of variation week to week. What separates the good from the bad is that the good quarterbacks typically have those really good games and they'll have more good games than bad games. But you, you look at Justin Herbert, he had a bad game, missed wide open receivers like four times. Uh, through picks, cost the Chargers that game, arguably, in the end. No one's saying Justin Herbert's a bust after that bad game. You know, and, th- and there's lots of reasons for that. You know, he's shown, obviously, over many years that he's he's a good quarterback. But even Justin Herbert has a bad game. Patrick Mahomes will have some bad games. Not frequently for Patrick Mahomes, but he does occasionally have a bad game. But, like, even out- outside of that top tier, you'll get guys that have bad games all the time. I mean, you look at last week with, with Jalen Hurts, right? Basically identical stat line to Desmond Ritter. Um, had a little bit more on the ground, fewer passing yards, but two touchdowns, three interceptions, and they lose the game. So, um, you know, but but no one's questioning Jalen Hurts. And again, Jalen Hurts has proven that he deserves the benefit of the doubt. So we're still waiting for Ritter to to get to that point. Like, Ritter's not beyond reproach. But I think the ex- it's just unrealistic expectations. Uh, and, and again, like, that's bound to happen. Like, it's not like it's a Falcons fan only thing. Like, this is something that happens to every team. Um, but man, I, I really think that these last two weeks, you just feel a lot better about Ritter, even though it hasn't translated to two wins, it's translated to one win and one loss. Like the the offense as a whole, I think just looks and feels a lot better. It doesn't feel as stilted. I I feel like they're close, Daniel. I don't know if you feel the same, like they're close to something. They're close to like breaking through or they're close to just imploding. I don't, I don't know which one it is. And that was one of the taglines of this, of this video, but what, what do you think? Do you think they're, because this is a crucial game this week against the Bucks. Like, if the Falcons win this game on the road in Tampa Bay, they've got to win against the the presumptive favorite for the division. They will take over first place in the division, and they'll have a two and zero NFC South record with an opportunity to not to to sweep the Bucks later in the season when they play at home. So that is obviously huge. You'll also get rid of his first road win and all this stuff. So like, this is a critical game, and I feel like. They they might be close to like actually coming together here, but you know maybe maybe I could be really wrong about that. I don't know. <laughs> I think they are closer to to finding something positive and to to kind of getting over that proverbial hump. Um, I think if they were closer to imploding, you would. I I tend to think it would be more like Jaguars esque offensive performances, and I think with what they've shown lately, because again, you know Arthur Smith has shown, I mean, last year's offense, the way that they 
the proficiency with which they could run the football, I think, inspires confidence that this year's team should at some point be able to find that gear. Um, and I think they're close. And I think the more that Ritter continues to show, I think they're about one or two legitimately connected deep shots away from just completely opening up the floodgates. The problem is, can Ritter hit that? He was close with Van Jefferson. I think the Falcons liked that a lot in Van Jefferson. That's what Arthur Smith was saying Monday, I believe it was, that they love how intelligent he is and that he adds that element of being able to really open things up for them. Um, and again, that, that was that's a tough ball to hit, considering that you've been throwing to that guy in practice for three days. Um, so if they can connect on a few of those, if you can kind of see them push the ball a little bit more, I think you'll see that running game open up. And I think that's when you get much closer to being legitimate and to being a, cause like, again, they've moved the ball. Well, the last two weeks, it's just going to be about finishing drives, which I think Bijan was talking about, about, about that today, actually, that they just, it's, it's red zone execution. They were really not as efficient as you would have liked against Washington. And again, that's kind of, that's, that was a criticism of Arthur Smith in 2021 um, and really has continually been a criticism through his time in Atlanta. Um, having a good running game helps you out so much, so much. Just like, whether it's a goal to go situation, whether it's third and one, third and two from the 15, like whatever it may be, if you don't have that running thread, it's just so hard. And I, I think Atlanta needs to get Tyler Algier rolling. Um, I, you know, week one, he came out of the gates firing and it's like, okay, him and Bijan can, can really coexist. And then since that game, it's just been really tough sledding for him. Uh, so I think if you can get Algier rolling a little bit, the holes haven't really been there. I believe the Falcons are facing the most eight man boxes or just overall stacked boxes in, in the league right now, um, which Arthur Smith said was misleading. Um, and his explanation about how you can drop out of that or add to that or whatever it may be for each individual team was for sure valid. Um, but I think, I, I think it's important still to realize that teams, I mean, everybody knows the, the quote that, I think it was Jimmy Ward had where he's like, they don't really want to pass the ball. If you can start to break that narrative, it's going to take the offense up to that next level. And again, since that's already the thought process, I don't really think they're that close to imploding just for the, for the pure fact that I think their floor has already been shown. And they've, they've pretty much, I'd, I'd say they've moved far beyond where they were at in Jacksonville. If Ritter can continue to play at the level he's shown in the last two weeks. So I, I'm I'm optimistic about it. I think it's going to be a big game for sure. It's I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But it's it's a um, it's a big opportunity. I'm not sure if Jerome Boger is officiating this week. Um, that'll be something to monitor. Um, I'm yeah. sure Grady Jarrett is hoping he's not. But um, yeah, yeah, you know it should be a it's it's a it's a big game. I think it's a big game for the headspace for the mental for a lot of fans as well. And I I think for the team really and for all the reasons you mentioned of you start 2-0 in the NFC South and, you know, you get Ritter's first win on the road. I, it, it, it would be kind of poetic if he loses his first home game in eight years and wins his first yeah. game on the road as a professional next week. That's so. what I was saying. That's what I was trying to say. I was like, oh, yeah, we'll just break all the streaks this week. We'll, we'll get rid of all those pesky streaks at once. But it's it's a tough test because the Bucks do have a good defense. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you honed in on it, and I wanted to address it too. Like, the run game just hasn't been working the last several weeks. Like, basically since – 
week four. It's been pretty inept even. Um, I would say it's been thoroughly mediocre. Um, and I, I don't really understand it because the passing game has been working. So it's like now that now the passing game is working, run game's not coming along. What do you think's going on there uh, with, with the run game at this point, Daniel? Yeah, you know, it doesn't feel like there's very many holes. And with, again, it, it's so confusing to me because you look at it and you return four or five starters from last year and you should, in theory, have only upgraded that left guard. And I think the Falcons did with with Matthew Bergeron sliding in for the revolving door at left guard that they had last year with Elijah Wilkinson, Colby Gossett, Matt Hennessy, and just, you know, the on and on and on with all the injuries they had. Um so the line in general should be better. It's just you're not really seeing it click. And again, they are facing loaded boxes. Um, I just think with where they're at right now, I think you're seeing teams make the Falcons beat them through the air, and you're seeing guys trigger downhill a little bit quicker. And um, and again, you know, I think Caleb McGarry was saying this on Sunday um, via Josh Kendall of the Athletic. Shout out to Josh, very good friend of the program here. Um, that. They're, the line of this offense and how complicated it is, he said the margin of error is razor thin. And if you're not fully in sync and if you're not, again, it's just, it could just be one or two minor things here or there, whether it's a guy not sealing or whether it's a guy who just can't quite reach at the second level, whatever it may be, you're just a little bit off. That linebacker's shooting that gap. That safety's crashing. And that alley that you thought you had is close. And then the next thing you know, you've got two guys um, running running right at you and you've got nowhere to go and you're gaining two yards, three yards. Um, I thought Tyler Algier ran with a little bit more confidence against Washington. Um, I thought you could see signs of him looking more like his former self from last year, just more physical, more aggressive. Um, He looked better. I just think at times with the lack of lanes he had, he looked a little timid. Um, and again, I'm not an NFL running backs coach, but again, he had that mentality last year and he, you could just feel his physicality just watching him run. Um, and it felt like at times kind of in that week three to week five ish stretch that he just wasn't hitting the hole, maybe as hard as he once was, or, or lowering his pads and really running for the contact the way that, that he was at the, at the end of last year, even in week one this year. Um, and I thought he was getting a little bit back closer to that last week, which I think positively reflects on the offensive line as well. Um, so I think it's really just, I, I tend to think that the Falcons feel they're close. And I think it's just going to be a matter of, can we pass it enough? Can we spread you out enough to where, you know, you are kind of opening up more lanes inside. And um, I think a lot of people have seen the viral clip now of Ryan Newsel, um, <laughs> the block in space that again, in years past was probably a Parker Hesse block that is no longer a Parker Hesse block. And, it's just kind of an interesting situation. It's like personnel wise are not that far removed from last year. They should have only improved. I think they're about 45 yards off where they were last year still. And so I think it's something that we should see improve as, as the year progresses. I'm excited to watch that play out. Cause I think the Falcons will at some point get back to that identity. And I think Arthur Smith was talking about how they were improving as, as things went along Sunday, it's just, they threw the ball 47 times. So yeah. I'm excited. I think the run game might travel to Tampa, and I think this might be a week they actually have a little bit more success than in weeks faster. than I think they are starting to find something a little bit there. Yeah, I mean it's it's t- it's weird because it it like it used to be, and part of the reason like I, I get people like see that the they lost the game. Like, why are you positive they lost the game? Be- because like it, it 
win and losses is, is one thing, but we have to also just analyze what's going on too. Um, both for content and just personal interest. And like, yes, they, they did lose, but like before the last two weeks, you would have said like the Falcons aren't even capable of throwing 40 plus passes in a game. Like the, the offense just would completely fall apart. And not only did it not fall apart, it was rolling. Like they were marching up and down the field. They piled up over 400 yards, uh, over 300 yards passing. And yes, the mistakes, like you, you, you can't have the mistakes. Like we all know that, um, you know, but there's just there's not a whole lot more we can say about that. Like, that's why we're sort of glossing over that. Not, not because it's not important. It is like, you can't like Ritter can't lead the league in turnover worthy plays. Like we can't have that. Like that's got to stop full stop. No questions asked, but we can't really say much more about that other than like, yeah, you get, you got to clean that up. I mean, there's, there's certainly little things that need to, to change, right? Like, we could have better play calls. We could have better route concepts. We could have receivers creating more separation. We could have people not making mistakes in their option routes. Like Bijan, maybe we should maybe we should take that off Bijan's plate, not ask him to run option routes as a rookie running back. But, you know, I, I don't know. Um, it, so there's a lot of things that could change. Uh, maybe we could get better snaps from Drew Dahlman. The pass protection, to its credit, I think has definitely stepped up. That's been an improvement. You know, it almost feels like if we could just get the run game and the pass game to play well at the same time, we'd be unstoppable. But we just, we haven't seen that. We haven't seen that at all yet. Yeah, I think the only time it really felt like that was probably that fourth quarter against Green Bay, where it felt like everything kind of merged together and it all felt great. And you're watching and you're like, wow, this is a very wholesome feeling inside. You know, very satisfying. And I, I just... You're 100% right. It's like one thing works. The other thing is just not at all there and vice versa. Um, then you have kind of games like we saw in Detroit where you have neither working. And then it's just not a whole lot of fun for anybody. Um, but I, I think, you know, again, as as Ritter continues, uh, hopefully for his sake, for the team's sake, have productive passing games, things should only open up on the ground. I It just feels like mathematically hard to believe that a running offense that was third best in the NFL last year, averaged a little bit under 160 yards a game, can have a quarterback come out and throw for 300-plus yards in back-to-back weeks, and somehow your rushing offense is still really not even looking anywhere close to what it was last year. Um, And I just – that feels like one of those things that is just not a sustainable trend to where I think we will – again, I think it could be as early as this weekend – see that trend flip see that rushing offense really pick up. Um, and when it does, I think it could be a beautiful thing because then you open up play action. And then I, I think Ritter's proven really last year, I thought at the end of his you know tryout last year, he was really efficient, resetting his eyes, resetting his feet, finding open guys over the middle. If you can start to unlock that part of the game, and again, that's just going to open up more things vertically for you as well. It's just going to make the offense run a whole lot smoother. And, and I think that the pieces are there. We've seen so much potential. All the, they've got the weapons. They, they now with Van Jefferson, they have a legitimate speed threat who's proven he can, I'm pretty sure he was like top five in the NFL in explosive plays in 2021 or like percentage of explosive plays. Uh, you know, I, I mean, he's, uh, it feels like they have all the ingredients for it. They're just figuring out a way to put them all together and make that full four course, whatever it is, meal of like, Hey, we're going to come out. We're going to, you know what, if you want to stop the run, we're going to throw for 300 yards on you. If you want to stop the pass, we're going to run for 170 on you, you know, and it feels like they're just kind of stuck and it, 
there's it's just there's not at that complementary level quite yet and i think it's gonna it's gonna happen it's gonna happen i feel fairly confident in saying that we will see that happen sooner rather than later which is why i'm more confident that they're closer to you know finding something good than finding implosion so kind of tying a couple points together there yeah no that that's all good points and it it's tough because you know it, it's fresh i think you know what there's added stuff because the defense is so good that it like, I think pushes things forward because now it's like we were sort of expecting the defense to be not that great. And then it's like, Oh, well, you know, maybe this team will just need some time to get on its feet. But like now the defense is like ready to go playing great football and like the offense is letting them down, obviously. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating to watch, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, it sort of is what it is. Uh, certainly I'm not enjoying watching the, the offense. I mean, how many times did they, they get it? The defense gave, what, the offense three chances to score that touchdown late in the game? They didn't score once. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, that's pretty incredible. That's like, we needed one possession to tie this up, and they gave them three, and they couldn't do it. So um, obvi- we, we all know where the problems are. Uh, it's on offense, and they need to they they need to just get through whatever they're dealing with. Like, it... The, I, it I think we're both on the same page that it feels like they're close to something, but like, is it like this week? Is it next week? Is it two weeks from now? Because they're running out of time to like, to, yeah. to get this right. I mean, we're, we're getting into late October. Once November happens, it's sort of when you, that's kind of when you know what teams are by the time November hits, like there's not a lot, you know, you can obviously get hot. I mean, 2016 Falcons, hello, you know, team kind of oddly similar to this team, not anywhere near as bad offensively, obviously, but, um, a team that kind of scuffled out of the gate a little bit and then got hot and made the Super Bowl. Now, I'm not comparing this team to that team in terms of offensive ceiling at, at this stage without Matt Ryan here, but there's a chance that they could get this together. And then if, if this offense is just average with this defense, you can win 10, 11 games, no problem. And that's why I'm still not moving off my 10-win prediction. I, I still think we're, we're pretty close to, to that number. But we have to start translating to, we have to start like playing that way. Like, like now, like we don't have a lot more time to wait around for this to happen. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I'm glad that you brought up the point about November. I think that's kind of when you start to see separation happen quite a bit as well. Uh, But again, I think it's also encouraging for the Falcons sake that they are three and three and they are half a game out of the NFC South. And it doesn't feel like they've particularly played anywhere close to a full game on offense. Um, and, and so I, I think if you're looking for reasons for optimism, which I think a lot of people are and really should be, because again, this is a team that has the talent to make a legitimate playoff push and, and make it for the first time in six years and, and bring back some positive feelings within a fan base in a city that could really use it surrounding Falcons football. Um, and I, I tend to think that with the offense still kind of, there's so many young pieces there. Right. And it's it was always going to be a matter of time. And I think there's such a feeling of, oh, they had the whole offseason together. Hopefully they'll click early. And that's just not really been the case so far. But again, you're seeing them start to put it together and you're seeing glimpses of them putting it together. And you just get the feeling that it's going to happen. And I think I've said that three times by now. And I continue to firmly believe it every time that I say it, that they will at some point again quite soon, I feel like, put it together. They have the pieces, and I think you've seen each individual piece break out in their own separate ways, and now it's just going to be bringing them all together. I think 
Arthur Smith takes a lot of responsibility for that. Um, but again, some of this stuff has been executional and, and it's like drop pass here, a fumble here, a missed block here, a misread here, you know? And so it's like, it's there. We've seen that it's there. We've seen that there's young talent who can play at a high level. And I think we've seen a coach who's proven he can maximize rosters. And so I think I personally, some of the Arthur Smith hate that I've seen, I don't, I don't agree with um, really at all. And so I, I personally think that the Falcons have much brighter days ahead in 2023. Um, I tend to think this is a team that we're starting to see that light switch kind of flicker a little bit. And I think over the next two to three weeks, we're going to see it turn on fully. Um, You know, and again, it's got to translate the points because it's kind of like what I was talking about earlier. They've had 850 something yards of offense the last two weeks and they've scored 37 total points. Yeah. You know? And so it's like, you can look really good, but if you're not scoring, you're not executing when you need it. It's, it really won't end up mattering in the end. So I think they're going through some of those growing pains. I think they're learning some hard lessons. And I think that as that continues to happen, you're, you're going to see them either make the same mistake and that's when you realize it's a lost season um, or they're going to learn from it. And I tend to think that with the people they have, the mentality that they have and um, some of the way that those guys are wired from the neck up, I think you're going to see them learn and improve and put it all together. Really. I would, I would tend to think this week, but for sure in the second half, which is somehow some way fast approaching. Yeah. And you know, it, we certainly all hope for, for our sanity, for our enjoyment, for, for many reasons, we, we hope that we're right. Like, cause I, I, you know, I, it's just a gut feeling for me. Like, I mean, I, I, I do think, you know, what we've seen on the field has, has been better over the last few weeks in terms of the offense. Um, but like it hasn't, they just haven't put it together and, and some teams will never, like, it just never happens. Like they don't put it together. They languish, they fall off, they, they implode. Right. Um, but, but I think the chance for improvement is there. Uh, I, I think it's, it's realistic. Now, I don't know if it's this week because this is a tough defense. Like this is Tampa Bay's defense is almost identically ranked to Atlanta's, um, not quite as good against the pass, a little bit better against the run, but very similarly ranked in terms of all the other statistics. Um, so this, this is a tough defense to move the ball. And now that being said, the Bucks have played like an even easier schedule than the Falcons at this point. <laughs> like, so, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's not like they've played a juggernaut or anything like that. Um, and, and they actually lost by the exact same score to the Detroit lions, which I thought was funny. Um, and I guess, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting around for Baker to become Baker again, because I just don't think it's sustainable what he's been doing, but I'm curious what, what you think about this matchup with the bucks this week. Yeah. You know, it's, it feels like the Falcons and the Bucks are two teams that over the second half of the season, at least on paper and preseason expectations, you would expect they'd, you kind of expect the Falcons to improve and you'd expect Tampa to regress. But again, from what we've seen so far, Tampa has outperformed quite a bit of people's expectations. A lot of people thought that this team would be, you know, six and 11, I tend to think. And a lot of people really weren't talking a whole lot about them in that NFC South title race. I feel like it was a, it was a whole lot of Atlanta, New Orleans, what if Carolina can put some things together? And right now it's, you look at the top of the NFC South and it's the one team you wouldn't expect. And so, you know, really with Tampa Bay, it, it, it feels like the talent is, I've been fond of Rashad White for a while and I'm very glad that he's kind of had that opportunity to, to really evolve and, and take over a, a larger role there. And I think when you see 
Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, and you see some of the talent that they have on that roster. I think Jesse Bates was talking about it today. Like they've got so many good pieces there that you wouldn't really think about initially. There's, there's legit talent. And so um, it's, it's definitely a challenge. We know all about Tampa's defense and some of the guys have there. I, I know Vitave is questionable um, right now. I think he was limited today in practice. Um, but again, that's a team that hits, <clears throat> sorry, historically as it feels like Atlanta pretty frequently split with them pre Brady. Um, and so even last year split with them, obviously they took Brady out relatively early. So, um, it's definitely going to be a matchup. I'm, I, I think the Falcons can win that game. I think it's a very winnable NFC South road game. It's a game that I think Atlanta on paper is a more talented team. Um, and it's on, again, it's, it's a situation where I, I tend to think that if Ritter can take over what he has in the past two weeks, take it on the road. I think the Falcons win this game, but again, he hasn't really been able to prove that he can do it on the road yet. And so my overall thoughts on the matchup is definitely a wait and see, but it kind of out is every week, but I, I do feel optimistic again. Like last week I felt there's always that feeling when people favor the Falcons, you kind of get that feeling of, can they really deliver? And it was kind of that same thing. A lot of people had this summer of, Oh, expectations, not exactly where Atlanta thrives. There's kind of been a lot of people, I feel like, picking Tampa Bay here. And, again, the way last year's game in Tampa Bay went, I think there's motivation, to added motivation. I think the Falcons are eager to to show that they are still a a legit NFC South title contender this year. So I I, I think they'll come out firing, and I'm excited to see that because I I feel pretty decent about the way this week should go. Yeah, I agree. this is this is the test. Like this is where they have to be better than it than their their. This is the team that you have to beat essentially. Like this is this is the one. Like you don't have to beat the Eagles. You don't got to beat the 49ers. You got to beat the Bucks. Like that's the team you got to beat. Like that that's that's what we're aiming for this year. And I, I think it's not that difficult to to do. I think the Bucks are right around where the Falcons are. Um, you know, so we'll see. You know, this is a good test. And if the Falcons fall flat on their face and look terrible against the Bucks, then we're going to feel a lot differently going into next week. Um. But, you know, it's up to them to, to, to rise above, you know, rise up in, in the old, you know, language of this team, right? Uh, and, and try to and, and beat a team that I think that they have a good chance to beat. But again, they haven't played well on the road at all. They played just god-awful on the road. So that would be different for them. So that's a big test. The Bucks defense is a good defense. That's a big test. Um, but it's time to, to put up or shut up at some point, right? I mean, I think by the end of October, like, we we got to we need to see if this offense can do anything or if they're just going to languish and continue to implode. So, um, it's not an easy game, not an easy matchup. Uh, you know these are two teams that know each other pretty well. Um, but I I I I feel better about this game than maybe I should. And yeah, you, you know you mentioned a lot of people are picking the box. Yeah, I mean I, I I'm doing SB Nation's uh, react surveys now, so I actually know of like a thousand surveyed fans. I think over seventy five percent of fans were picking the box. So. Um, so, you know, it, it, there's not a lot of hope out there for the Falcons and I don't, they just lost to the commanders in pretty embarrassing fashion. So like, I mean, I don't blame any neutral observers for picking the bucks at home when the Falcons have sucked on the road. So, you know, so they need to defy the expectations. Basically they have to do better than people or think they have to play better. They have to be the, the surprise team this week which they kind of were against Houston. I feel like going into that game, pretty much no one was picking the Falcons, but I was like, you know, I feel like when they get counted out, that's kind of when they tend to just all of a sudden decide to play well. So 
Very similar this week, but it's on, it's on the road. So can they do it? I don't know. What, what do you think? You think you think they'll pull it off, Daniel? Yeah, I I yeah, I feel pretty decent about it because I you know some weeks I enter just feeling okay, and this is kind of one of those weeks where I, I feel I feel pretty solid that Sunday I I think I'll be writing about a Falcons victory. I think I'll be. It's just a it's it's just a weird feeling, man. Because like even going to the Washington game, you would think you know them losing three straight. There's just some things that I think if for the people who've watched Falcons football for a long enough time, just know there's some trends that you look at and you're like, on paper, the Falcons have no reason to lose this game. And that just gives you a really bad feeling about like, oh, they could definitely lose this game. And so I think, you know, you look at Tampa Bay and you look at the fact that a lot of people kind of are counting the Falcons out. I feel like, as you said, 75% leaning Tampa Bay. And you think about the fact that my, again, as I said, I, I think the Falcons on paper probably have more talent than Tampa does. Um, I think this is going to be a really big statement week for the Falcons. It's a, again, as you said, it's a big put up or shut up week. It's a big put up or shut up time. And I think the Falcons have the leaders on this team to kind of refocus everybody realize that you are correct in this, you know, belief that it is time. Like all the off season hype is for now, you have to go out, you have to prove that, all that talk that you had of like, Hey, we're, we're a new Falcons team. We are different. You know, you got to go prove it now. You, you have yeah. to go show that. And this is a, this is a time you're going on the road NFC South rival NFC South leader. If you win that game, I think you walk out of Tampa Bay leading the South um, just about at the halfway mark, not quite, but pretty close to it. Feeling pretty good about yourself. If you lose that game, you've lost four of your last five. I think this is when you start to kind of feel that mid season intensity Um and how they respond to that, I think it'll be very telling. And I'm excited to watch that play out. But I do think the Falcons have the talent. I think they're going to come out. Again, just knowing and hearing all that people have said inside the building about the way that they're wired, I feel pretty good about, about the way they'll respond, about the way they'll enter uh, mentally. And I think they'll come out, and I, I do think that they'll walk out of Raymond James Stadium with a win on Sunday. Yeah, it's certainly not what most are predicting, but I I just feel weirdly like that they they will do it. Just they just seem like the team that when when people count them out that they just show up. And and I would like them to show up when people don't count them out too. That would be nice. But um yeah. That would be that's the next step, I guess. We can't ask for too much at once. But uh yeah, before we before we wrap up, guys, let me get to some donations from our from our mod, our resident mod, uh Noah C. What's up, Noah? He says with the five dollars in chat, uh, thanks Noah. He says, "I still think we end up benching Ritter and starting Taylor Heineke, or I wonder if they could pull off a trade for Kirk Cousins and let him get this offense rolling. We have so much talent, and Ritter isn't it for me." Yeah, no, I know you're you're pretty down on on Ritter, um, but yeah, that I just with these last two games, like after week four, I would have said like we could be talking about Taylor Heineke playing right now. Like, like easily. I think I said like, Oh yeah, he's probably got two more games to show something or they're going to go to Heineke. I think over the last two games, he's, he's earned more time. Obviously it hasn't been great. I mean, I think obviously week five was very nice week, you know, week six less nice. So, but unlike week four, there was at least something good to take away from week six. So at this point, I don't see him getting benched anytime soon, and I really don't. I think they could make a trade with the Vikings, but but not for Kirk. Maybe a man by the name of Neil Hunter. A little Daniel Hunter, yeah, yeah, a little Daniel Hunter, yeah. Is that is that who you want too? Is that your prime target? 
That would be a fun one. Yeah, I would. I, I tend to think that'd be a very enjoyable trade target. Uh, you make that work. I think you're looking at because, you know, again, I think it was Jerry Gray was talking today about Onyemata and Jared inside. You're seeing them block three or sorry, block two with three. So you're creating more one on one matchups outside. You add Hunter. That's a that is a nightmare front for opposing offenses. So um, I do think that'd be a very, very fun trade target. I think it'd be relatively pricey to pull off. But again, if if you're the Falcons and and you're planning on trying to contend and you think he's a piece that really pushes you over the top this year and Ritter continues to show that he can take you to the playoffs and maybe win a game or two, then have at it. You know, have at it. Yeah, I think if you get him for a second rounder, which yeah. you'll probably have two, um you can afford like he could be a long term piece. Like you're you're trading for him with the intention of giving him a contract. So you know, he's only 28. Like, I think he's all, he's getting close to 29. But, like, 28 years old, you're, you're not getting a better pass rusher in the second round of the draft. Like, you're just not. So, um, I, I think that's a fine idea. I think it's it's not just a, a rental for this year. I think you, you trade for him and re-sign him, and it's a damn good front. Um, now, it doesn't fix the biggest problem with this team, which is the, the offense. But I, I'm not sure there's too much you can do about that. Like, I really don't want to trade for Cousins at this stage. It's just so expensive. Um for a guy that's going to be 36 next year. It, it's just a Band-Aid. Um, I'd, I'd rather get like a true plus than a Band-Aid at this point. Um, and, you know, if we need to reset at quarterback, which we still may need to do, like that's very much, I would say that's the betting favorite right now is we're still looking for a quarterback at the end of this season. Um, I think like Ritter will make it interesting over the over the, the rest of this season, but I'm not sure that he'll play well enough that you're not going for a quarterback in the first round next year. But yeah, I I'm sort of just I, I think you, you go for the pass rusher with that you've desperately lacked. Um, and and to be fair, I think Fontenot's done a great job in free agency and, and in trades. The draft less so. So I I would lean more towards outside of the first round. I think he's nailed all the first round picks. So, like, if we take a quarterback in the first round, it should be a shoe-in. But, like, you know, can't take a quarterback and an edge rusher. So, what can you do? Maybe trade for a top edge rusher with your second-round pick. Maybe uh, maybe that will work out for you. Yeah, you know, it, it would be more uh, cost-efficient to trade one second-round pick for a pass rusher and draft a quarterback in the first rather than trade, like, two or three first-round picks for a quarterback and draft an edge rusher in your second round uh, with your second-round pick. That's so, just math. Which, again, That's just math. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, even if you are, if you are trading up to go grab a, you know, Caleb Williams or Drake May, realistically, you're not probably going to slide up for Caleb Williams. But if you are moving up to like the top five, for example, um, you might have to move a second round pick anyways. And of course, you still have, you know, if you're moving your own second round pick, you you still have Jacksonville's pick, but that's probably going to end up being like a mid to late 50s pick. So it's like, you're really not getting anyone better than what Hunter would provide. And again, I, I would be more willing to, I'd be more excited about acquiring Hunter. Cause like you said, you're getting that long-term pass rush value there too. Like you're, you're getting a legitimate difference maker for not just your defensive front, not just your defense, really the entire team. And I, I tend to think that um, what better, what better person for Hunter, as you said, trending towards 29, you put him in a room with Calais Campbell, who is about as good at, showing and how, how to take care of your body, preserving your body, elongating your career as anybody in the NFL. Um, so I think he'd be a very 
I think it's the type of move that you could see it pay off not only now, but I think even if you gave him a three, four, five year you know, contract extension, he's gonna he's got the tools around him to where that's gonna pay off. So yeah, um, if you're gonna invest, I would invest in Hunter. Yeah, that's that's the one I'd swing for the fences for. Sneaky one, Kevin Bayard too, because I think the Bucks yeah. or uh, the the Titans are potentially trying to move him. He's got a relatively low salary because of how he set up his contract with Void years this year, and look like. Paying two safeties big money, not like the most ideal situation, but man, Kevin Bayard is perfect uh, for this defense. Like the same, like he's just a much more versatile overall safety. He can play deep, but he could, he plays in the box. He plays slot corner. Um, I think he's exactly the type of guy that, that Nielsen would want next to, to Jesse Bates. And look, maybe you just have a bunch of money tied up in safety. I don't know, but they got money. I mean, they got to spend it on somebody. So, <laughs> you know what? You might as well have the best safety tandem in the league. I mean, that's a, if, if we can do that, maybe, maybe that, cause we could get a bunch of turnovers that way. I mean, that might be our only ticket at this point. So maybe that's, that's how we do it, but. There you go. I mean, hey, all the people watching in the comments, I know why not. I know why you should not tie up all the money in the safeties. I, yeah, I've yeah. just, you're not coming out here with the pitchforks. It is just Look, this a, is just a hypothetical, okay? This is just, yeah, strictly a hypothetical. There's nobody really else named Kevin on the roster. I got to stand for my guys. So, Oh, <laughs> uh, one, one of my friends is a Phillies beat writer, and he, um, he so his, his last name is Kelly, and they were all chanting, Kelly sucks last night. And the, uh, <laughs> In the Philly stadium talking about Arizona's starting pitcher. So yeah. Yeah. The name game in sports, man, you gotta stick up. You gotta stick up for him. Gotta support the brand. Got to. So no, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's no Daniels on the Falcons roster right now either. Very sad. Right. Yeah, that's surprising. We gotta get more representation for for our names out there. Uh as long no, as they're good. That's too. the most important thing. We need good Kevins and good Daniels, not just like, you know, random guys. Uh the good ones. The good ones, please. <laughs> Um, <laughs> put them on a practice squad They're, there you I, go honestly, anything like, really anything. yeah really anything would work um we got noah c with the ten dollars thank you Noah. he says told myself i had a bad feeling with matt ryan being our commentator this weekend that we find a way to choke this away in front of him had those three possessions at the end of the game there to do something and we get nothing yeah i mean depressing stuff no i know uh what Hopefully, hopefully this weekend they can make it up to us. They they need to make it up to us because they they've been torturing us. Uh, last week's game was just the biggest buzz kill. It's like, all right, oh man, we're we're gonna do it. We're this for another fourth quarter comeback here. Okay, we didn't get it that time. That's okay. Okay, we're back. We're back. Nope, nope. Okay, okay. Oh, one more time. Really, we have another chance. Oh, okay. Never mind. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, let's let's relax, please, Falcons, and, and just you know, if we can just not turn the ball over, everything will be fine. Yeah. It was definitely trending towards another fourth quarter comeback. And like their numbers in the fourth and Mercedes this year are absurd. Yeah. Like absolutely pure domination. And so like when they're driving and then like prior to the prior to the fall of the uh yeah, no, the the penalty on third and goal from the one. That delay game, man. That was a that was Oof. a dagger. There were there were so yeah. many plays in that game where it's like, oh, that's a backbreaker. It's like, oh, that'll do them in. And then it's like, nope, they got one more chance. And it's like, oh, that'll do them in. And like, nope, one more chance. And it just keeps on going for like four or five more plays. And you're like, surely that's the dagger. And it's like still not the dagger. So they um shout out the defense for really playing at a high level. But um, yeah, they they definitely it was a very on brand loss i feel like considering that <laughs> yeah. there were so many chances to win but at the same token for a minute it felt like they were going to come back and erase like a 14 point fourth quarter deficit which would have been so not on brand so it was like a 
a, a very interesting mixture. I don't know. Very conflicting. Yeah, yeah very conflicting indeed. Um, so hopefully we can get a big dub this week and, and get, get a nice, fresh taste in our mouth that's not uh, that depressing end to this game. Uh, we got we got one more from Brandon with the $2. Thanks, Brandon. Says, with our struggles on the offensive line and releasing Jalen Hawkins, why did we add another safety and then a running back to the practice squad? It's depth moves, Brandon. Um, they're not like, these are not like paradigm shifting moves. Like they cut a safety, they need to add a fourth safety because, and if you have four safeties on game day because you need the depth and you, usually that those safeties are your core special teams guys. Um, so that's why they get the safety on the practice squad. I mean, I don't know why they're adding running backs to the practice squad. Maybe they like the guy that, <laughs> I mean, it's the practice squad. Like it, it is what it is, right? Um, you know, I'm sure they have their reasons. Uh, that, you know, they're, they're not getting a, a big upgrade to the offensive line uh, with this little shuffle move. Um, I mean, I don't think anyone they could sign. Maybe, maybe Lyle Collins, but, like, he's clearly being picky about where he signs at this point. Um, I don't think he's going to come to Atlanta to fight for a starting job with Caleb McGarry. Uh, I just don't think it's going to happen. So I don't think the Falcons are interested either, to be frank. So um, if there was an injury, maybe, right? But at, at this stage, you know. We got we got a good we got a good half out of Storm Norton, so that they're probably feeling good about swing tackle at this stage. Uh, Toledo really legend, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, the storm's coming, uh, Storm Norton. So it's just um, got a, that. There's so many good things to do with that name. I just can't like we need. I need more Storm Norton snaps so we can reference that more. But yeah, Brandon. Do, again, guys, like don't don't get wrapped up in like the roster churning moves. Like they're not like. These like big issues with the roster, they're they're not getting fixed this year more than likely. Like your best hope is for people to develop and continue to play better. And I think for guys like Matthew Bergeron, that's realistic to expect that. With guys like Caleb McGarry, you know, maybe. Um, but but you look at the offensive line, they have played better, like especially in pass protection, things have sort of settled down. It's looked it's looked better, even against some really good pass rushes. Um so I think that they are playing better, but let's just look around the NFL. Like, look at the Giants. They were starting, you know, no, Jalen Mayfield, like, we're not slandering you anymore, I promise. But, like, the Giants had to start Jalen Mayfield for two games. He had a zero PFF grade in two straight games. And, like, that's, they they couldn't go and get anyone better, like, at this point, because that's the NFL. Like, offensive line is barren. Like, there's just not enough good offensive linemen for the NFL. It's just how it is. Um, So you're kind of stuck with it. Like it's one of those things, you know, unless you're going to make a big trade or something like that, you're, you're not going to really meaningfully upgrade your roster at this stage, unless you just get really lucky with someone who gets cut or waived, or you just strike gold somewhere or, or somebody just pops, you know, and, and that, that can happen, but it's unlikely. Um, but uh, yeah, Daniel, great conversation tonight. Always enjoy having you on. Uh, we're going to have you on like in a non pinch hitting capacity at some point where it's just like a casual, you just sort of, you know, slide in and it's just, you know, more of a part of the normal crew, but uh, I do appreciate you stepping up tonight. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, as always appreciate the invite, appreciate the thought to have me on. It would be, you know, it'd be a very unique feeling to, to like slide on and like join like the actual starters in, in rotation and not just be like the only guy left on the bench who hasn't played any minutes yet. Or like all the starters got like tossed from the game. And so it's like, Oh, that guy's got to come in and play. Yeah. It feels like a malice at the palace in situations sometimes. <laughs> no, but um, no, I, yeah, as always, appreciate you having me on. Appreciate all the people who are watching, um, following along and 
for sure watching a very enjoyable Falcons podcast on a Wednesday night. So shout out to you guys. Truly incredible. Well, appreciate that, guys. He is Daniel Flick now at by Daniel Flick on the Twitter X, whatever the hell they're calling it, platform, hellscape, you name it. Uh, Daniel, anything? That was, you had a great article earlier this week uh, looking at, at Ritter and some of those statistics. Anything else you're working on you want to let the people know about? Um. Yeah, I, I think I'll have – yeah, just, you know, a couple of casual Atlanta stuff from – some of the press conference hits from today and this week and just, you know, all the way leading up through Sunday and then repeat the cycle on Monday and just continue to churn out content. Right. Um, it's midweek. No, sorry. Mid season grind is completely here. This is, um, this is what we sign up for. I love it. I, I'm very tired as well, but I love it. And, um, I have a lot of readers who've been very interactive lately and it all makes it worth it and all, all makes me feel, very warm uh, seeing the support. So again, shout out all, all the fans, all the fans of everybody, all the people who have no idea who I am. Shout out to you guys too. I love you. Love you all. Um, but um, yeah, no, si.com slash NFL slash Falcons for all of my Atlanta stuff. There are several talented writers who also contribute on, on that website who I'm sure would appreciate you guys as well. Um, every Monday I have uh, an article I, I come out with called Flix Forum where I pick what I consider to be the hottest topic from the game. And I write about a thousand plus words on my personal take on it. That's one of the things I enjoy doing. Um, but yeah, so pretty, pretty fluid flow of content. That's what I work on. Um, but yeah, again, appreciate you guys all stopping by. Absolutely. Well, thank you once again, Daniel guys, I'm Kevin Knight at Falcoholic. Kevin, thank you for tuning in tonight. Please like subscribe. If you haven't done so already, leave that five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. Tonight's show is of course, Brought to you by Bet Online. Check us out on Patreon if you want to support the show. Guys, we'll see you uh, very soon. We'll, I think we'll have our next game preview coming out on Friday with the guys from the Cannon Fire podcast covering the Bucks over on the Believe Podcast Network. So we'll be hanging out with those guys, talking a little bit about this game. And, of course, we'll be back for more post-game coverage on Sunday. Please get that big dub so we can have uh, a nice, nice dub. You know, it, it just makes it easier for me. I know, I know the 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 really like dark post games are sometimes fun, but I would prefer to hold off on those if we can. Um, you know, I, I don't want to go to that well too early. I'd rather that happen. You know, not this week if we could help it. That two two in a row is too much. If we could just like, have some space, that'd be good. Um, but guys, thanks again so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks again for joining us here on the Falcoholic Clap. We'll see you guys next time. Have a great night, folks. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.